Thank you so much for your good singing today. Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. The book of Hebrews, chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, uh, I think it's on page 800 or 804 in the red Bible there in the pew. I'd like to talk to you this morning about how not to drift away. If you've been a believer in Jesus any length of time, you have seen more people get excited about the Lord for a short period of time and then somehow just drift away. Usually every summer in churches like ours, just like our church, there are people that have come for years and through the course of a summer something happens and they somehow drift away and sometimes they never come back. Well, the Bible here warns us about drifting away. It's written to the Hebrews that had just accepted Jesus as their Savior, and there was so much persecution on them, so much intimidation. They were actually losing their personal possessions. They were being stolen from them, the Bible says. And uh, they were second-guessing themselves. They were saying to themselves, you know, being a Christian is a whole lot harder than I thought it would be, and so I think I'll just drift away. So we're going to begin reading this morning in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through the angels proved steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Uh, when I was first uh, started out, actually in the ministry, I loved verse number three. I, I, I applied it to everybody, not only a believer, but to unbelievers of well, as well. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, his successors. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is warning these people particularly that was, that to whom this book was written of the peril of drifting away. And so he was giving to them a warning. And you know, warnings are really good. When you drive down the road and you see a sign that says, sharp curve, aren't you glad that sign is there? Uh, when you go down the hill in the library, and now they've put a, a, a lot of lights up there to tell you that there is a, a, a light coming up, that's a good thing. It's a warning signal. A lot of pile-ups have taken place right down there at that intersection. Uh, when you go down here by the school, there's those flashing lights. It's a school zone. It's a warning. Slow down. We love our kids. Warnings are really good. They really are. How many of us have spent uh, many years warning our kids, don't talk to strangers, uh, don't get in the car with anybody, no matter what they say, uh, don't get out of my sight. Well, the Bible here gives us a warning for today. And the warning is this, listen carefully to the things we have heard. You know, I know it's so easy to come to church and to actually even read your Bible and do it just casually, 
just going through the routine of it all, just, just kind of checking it off to say, well, I did that for the day. That's part of my to-do list. But the Bible says here, I want you to give more earnest heed. I want you to listen very carefully to the things which you've heard. And the first thing he talks about right here is, is uh, an illustration from the Old Testament, verse 2. For if the words spoken through angels prove steadfast in every transgression and disobedience, received a just reward. Now you're going to have to trust me on this. This is talking about the giving of the law. And so if you like to write in your Bible, over in the margin write law there. Because in Acts 7.53 there is a reference to angels and Moses giving the law to the people of Israel. And of course that becomes clearer here in verse number 2 when it talks about transgression, disobedience, and reward. Now, actually, if we want to summarize this statement, it goes like this. I want you to review Old Testament lessons. Uh, whenever somebody comes to the Lord, I always try to get them to read the New Testament. I say, stay out of the Old Testament for now. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Get through the New Testament and then go back and take a deep breath and head into the Old Testament. But here, of course, he's writing to people who knew the Old Testament. They were people of the Old Testament, and so he begins with the Old Testament. Uh, one of my favorite New Testament verses is 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Let's read this together. All these events happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the time when the age is drawing to a close. See that word over there? Warn us. This is talking about the events in the Old Testament. The events in the Old Testament happens as examples for us. And so the Bible is saying, listen, go back in the Old Testament and read it. Learn from it. You've heard the statement mentioned many times. Those who don't learn from history are bound to repeat it. And so what the writer is saying is, listen, I want you to learn from your Hebrew history. And, and he also says, this is what I want you to learn, that every transgression and disobedience receives a just reward. What does that mean? Well, the word transgression there means stepping across the line. When you break God's law, he lays down the, the line. He draws a line in the sand. He says, listen, don't cross that. Now, every now and then, what do we do? We cross it, right? Uh, we see the line. We know where the line is. Everybody knows where the line is, and we kind of sneak up at it, the line, and we look at it for a while, and we, see, we look around. Is anybody watching? And we jump across the line. We've broken the law of God. We've stepped across the line. I know you've done some of that even this last week. So have I. Uh, the next word, though, is interesting as well. That's, the first is the sins of commission. We commit these things and we know it. Now, the next word is, a, is another different Greek word, disobedience. And it's a word that means shutting our ears or inattention or unwillingness to hear. Do you know anybody like that? Whenever you bring up the things of the Lord, they just kind of walk away. I don't want to hear that. 
Uh, I don't want to listen to that. They're afraid they might become accountable if they listen. And if they don't listen, maybe they won't be accountable. But uh, I think we could categorize that as sins of omission. Sins of commission, sins of omission. And uh, he's saying, listen, I want you to remember in the Old Testament, whenever God laid down the law, there were lines drawn in the sand. And he says, listen, you cross that line, this is the penalty that you get. Uh, To every one of God's law, there was an appropriate penalty to be paid. Uh, The next thing he mentions here in the Bible, verse number 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by those who heard him? He says, I want you to listen to the New Testament message as well as the Old Testament. This message was first given by the Son, that's Christ. Confirmed by those who heard him, verified by signs and wonders and miracles and gifts to the church. And he says, I want you to pay closest attention to that. And so, in effect, if we want to really simplify it, this is what it means. He says, listen, I don't want you, I want to warn you, stay up on the Old Testament and learn from the history of the Old Testament and then stay current on the New Testament because it's the words of Jesus. It's the words of his followers. And it was verified by signs and wonders and miracles and gifts to the church. And so... This is one of the things that we need to do that will keep us from drifting away. Another thing he talks about is to consider the benefits of being a Christian. You know, a lot of times our minds trip negative, don't they? We live in a negative world. Everything we see on television is, is almost negative, right? Everything on the radio is negative. We get in the rut. We start thinking negative. The whole world is negative. The whole world is bad. And that's probably true. Uh, But what happens in the Christian life, a lot of times we get on the negatives also. And we don't look at the positives. And so we need to consider the benefits of being a Christian. And uh, I want to draw your attention to verse number 3. It says, so great a salvation. That's the benefit of being a Christian. Salvation is a wonderful thing. It really is. It means deliverance. And I've kind of simplified it so that I can remember it and you can remember it. It's the deliverance from the penalty of our sin. And what is that? The penalty of our sin is eternity in hell separated from God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'll tell you what. That's great salvation. That's a great deliverance. That's a deliverance that I want and I need and I cherish. I was just reading the other day in Mark 9, 44, 43, 45, 46, and 48. And Jesus said, in hell, the fire will never be quenched. It's never going to be put out. And so the writer here says, listen, I want you to revel in the fact that you have a great salvation. You've been delivered from the penalty of, of sin. Another deliverance that we have is we're delivered also from the power of sin. And let's just call that hell on earth, okay? How many times has somebody said to you, boy, I'll tell you what, I don't believe in a literal hell in the future. I believe that we're experiencing hell right here on earth. How many people have ever heard that? 
Almost all of you. And I'll tell you, there are people today that can say that with a straight face. And their, their lives or the lives of the people they're involved in are a literal hell on earth. I was just talking to one of our member, good members of our church and he was telling me his life now has become a hell on earth. Not because of anything he did or his wife did, but because of a, a family member. He said, you just can't believe the pain that we're going through. And it's the result of it is bondage to the vices and the evilness and the sin of the world. That's the cause of it. But when Christ comes into our life, he breaks that bondage in our life, potentially, and sets us free from living a life that can be described as hell on earth. And I don't know about you, but I really appreciate that. Sometimes people say to me, have you ever done this or did you ever do this in your past? And sometimes I'll say, yeah, I did that. Or no, I never did that. Uh, but the Lord has rescued me and many other people just like me from the lifestyle that's bound, chained to the sinful habits of this world. That's great salvation, isn't it? The last thing that defines this for me is God's going to deliver us from the presence of sin one of these days. The penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. You know, as you walk through this world, the member who called me and was talking to me on the phone the other day, he, he and his wife didn't do anything. And so when they look out at all the situations that all the heartbreak and brokenheartedness that sin produces in their life, I'll tell you, they're looking forward to the day they don't have to deal with that. You know that? I told this guy, listen, hang on, man, hang on, hang on. Don't give up. One of these days, uh, we're going to be ushered right out of this world, out of the presence of sin. And I was reading in the book of Revelation, and it says, boy, there's going to be a new day, no death, no crying, no tears. The former things are passed away. Don't you think that's going to be great? Say amen. Uh, we have a great salvation. Um, it's also was given to us at a great price. Ephesians 1.7 says this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. I've talked to many people through the years and encouraged them to give their life to Christ. Sometimes they say, well, you know, this is just so easy. I can't, I can't believe that salvation could be this easy. And I always remind them that, yeah, it, it's easy for us, but I'll tell you, it was given to us at a great cost and a great price. God came to earth one day and put on human form. And they drug him up a hill and nailed him to a cross. That's the price of our salvation. It's a great price that was paid for our freedom. Um, you know, if a person chooses to drift, though, in their faith, that's what we're talking about this morning, they're caught up in the wrong current. Uh, the fear of the church is not that people will plunge into disaster, but that they'll drift into disaster. There are, usually people don't deliberately turn their back on God, they just gradually turn their back on God, just incrementally. We need to recognize the trap, next of all. Look at verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect? Neglect, that's the trap. If you neglect your faith, you'll drift away. 
Guaranteed. Uh, if you don't invest something in your faith, you'll drift away. You know, when marriages are neglected, they fall apart. They really do. Do you remember when you were dating your wife or your husband how excited you are to talk to them? Uh, I mean, you like call them every 10 minutes on the phone. We're going out tonight, aren't we? You still on? Yeah, great. Can't wait. I hate this job. Uh, we're going to go have fun tonight. And so you go through the whole scenario. Your brain is blown. You just think life can't continue on unless you have this girl or guy in your life. And then you get married, and things change sometimes. Neglect sets in. Two people living under one roof, each one living separate lives, and um, marriage begins to fall apart because of neglect. It was going real good before you got married because you weren't neglecting it. You were paying close, strict attention. Uh, Churches fall apart because of neglect. Businesses fall apart because of neglect. Uh, our spiritual life falls apart when we neglect it. 1 Timothy 4.14 is a good verse on neglect. Let's read this, please. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you receive through the prophecies spoken to you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Don't neglect your spiritual gift. The gifts that God has given you, use them for Christ's glory. Um, I know many of you say, boy, you know, I know I'm a little bit gifted in this area, but I'm really not using it for the Lord. My mother used to always tell me, Johnny, you need to sing. You need to use your voice for the Lord. You've got a good voice. When I first came to this church, I was the song director. Can you imagine that? I even did a cantata. It wasn't very good. I directed it. And so... Uh, but, you know, my mother's theory came true. If you don't use it, you'll what? You'll lose it. She said, don't neglect singing, Johnny. I want to hear you sing. Well, all of us have gifts and talents that we tend to neglect. Uh, he's, don't neglect these things. Hebrews 10.25 is important for us because summer's right here on our doorstep. Let's read this together. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back is near. Don't neglect meeting together. Some people are doing that, but he says, listen, I want to warn you, don't do this. You know, being in church is important. It really is. Um, it you know, a lot of times it takes a lot of effort for you to get to church. I know that you have to, I mean, you have to work real hard to overcome all sorts of obstacles to get here. But I believe if you come to church, any one of the church services, Wednesday night, this service, you're going to get something if you come to here and you come to experience the Lord. God's going to give you something. He has something for you to, to get here. We're going to learn from each other, and that's the cool thing. You know, we have our prayer service on uh, Wednesday night, and, and uh, almost every Wednesday night I learn something from someone else in the church because we kind of break up into small groups sometimes and we pray together and we talk about the things of the Lord. Scott and Kathy Ford, they live out here in Ritchieville. How many people know where Ritchieville is? It's just like a little spot on the road. Uh, Ritchieville. 
Uh, they come every Wednesday night. They bring their kids to the children's program on Wednesday night. And uh, their neighbors, which they literally won to Christ, uh, the Hines, uh, Chuck and Christy Hines, they come too. And I always kid them. Uh, I see them here and I say, well, did you shut the light out when you left Richieville tonight? They're the only two families I think live there. So they, when they leave, they have to turn the light out. And so we're in our little prayer group, and we're having a great time. We're talking, and boy, Chuck, the other day, he was saying, you know, I was reading in the book of Habakkuk or something like that, and he was explaining, and I, I thought to myself, I don't know where that is. I said, I better go find, I better go find that so that I come back to the group the next time. I won't be so dumb, you know. And he was telling this wonderful spiritual lesson that he was learning. And I thought, man, this is really neat. The guy's only been saved a couple years. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I just learn from people in the church, and so do you, if you keep your ears open. And so that's why it's important. I'll listen, listen, do everything you can to not neglect meeting together with the people of God. And I know sometimes church can't be perfect from you, and you walk out of here and you say, listen, I didn't get anything today, and I don't know why I went, and all of that. But, you know, if you have a day like that, I want you to turn it into something like this before you get to church. I want you to come and say, listen, I'm going to give something to somebody in church today, and I'm not going to worry about getting. And, you know, if you come to give something to somebody, I guarantee you'll get something. Can I have an amen? That's just the way it it works. Uh, How shall we escape? This is interesting to me because... Because look at in verse number 2, it says, We must give more earnest heed. The writer includes himself, and in verse 3 he includes himself again. We escape. Now here is a holy man of God who writes the Bible, and he says, How am I going to escape if I neglect so great salvation? So there's no one in the church that's above drifting away. You might say, Boy, I know this person in the church, they're so close to God. You know, that can change pretty quick, you know that? It changed pretty quick. And they can drift away. And that, that's what he says right here. He uses the word we, includes himself. Now let's consider the consequences of drifting away. If you take the option of drifting away in your faith, you could lose the purpose for which you were made. And this is a thing that haunts me all the time. You know, I dedicated my life to the Lord when I was 18 years old. And I, I'll tell you what, I, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, here, I, I've got it. I give everything I have to you. And by the way, I don't have anything. Uh, you know, I give my future to you. I give my life to you. I give my, my new direction in life to you. It all belongs to you, Lord. Uh, and I want to know at the end of the journey that I fulfilled the purpose for which you made me. And I found this really neat verse in the Bible. I want to share it with you right now. Philippians 3.12. Let's read it. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. One of the days, one of, one of the days in our life, we were going our own direction and the Lord laid hold of us. He put his hand upon us, stopped us, in our direction, in the wrong direction, and he turned us around and put us in the right direction. He laid hold of me. Paul says, I press on that I may lay hold of the reason 
why Christ has laid hold of me. He said, I want to find out the purpose for which I exist. I want to be able to experience God's will in my life. I want to know more than just living my life and putting a living on the table. I want to know that there's purpose and meaning behind this. And so I'm pressing on. That's not neglect. He's pressing on. I want to encourage you in your faith to press on. Press on. Uh, Pick up where you have left off. Don't drift any farther. Come back to the Lord so that you can have purpose. Uh, That haunts me. Uh, To even for me to think of one day in my life, and there are many, listen, let me tell you. For even me to think of one day in my life that I've missed the purpose of God, it depresses me. It really does. It depresses me. That's why in the morning I pray to the Lord and I say, Lord, here, here I am. You and I are going forth into this world today and, and my hands are open and you guide me. Now to be sure, a lot of times I don't listen to the Lord and I kick myself at the end of the day. But that's the inner desire of my heart. Not to miss the purpose for which he made me. And then the blessing that could have been. You know, I think the most tragic thing in all life is at the end of life, someone, uh, old people at the end of life saying, boy, I just wish it could have been different. I just wish I'd have made the right decisions at the right time. Uh, The blessing that could have been. You know, uh, living for Christ is a blessing. He has delivered us from the penalty of our sin and from the power of sin dominating our life. And one of these days, he's going to deliver us into his presence, out of the presence of sin. And uh, another consequence is the discipline of the father for his children. Uh, Boy, I wish I had time to develop this, and I might do it next week for you. But, you know, discipline is a precious thing from God. It really is. You know, when somebody uses the word discipline, everybody says, count me out, man. Get out. I don't want none of that. But, you know, we discipline our kids because we love them, don't we? We say, listen, if you do this, we do this. You do that, I do this. This is discipline. You're going to have to pay the price. Um, and, you know, God loves us the same way. There's a whole section in the Bible that talks about discipline. And it's a good thing. Because, you know, a lot of times, discipline just builds in you some stronger character. Do you know that? A person left to themselves, uh, it's not good. And so God looks down at you and me and he says, you know, I'm going to have to discipline you because you're my child. And actually, he says in the Bible, that proves to you that you are my child if I do discipline you. And you're sitting here in the church today and you're saying, boy, I'm being disciplined by God. Listen, that's a good thing. You know why? Because God loves you, that's why. He loves you too much to let you live your life the way you want to. He loves you too much to let you drift in the wrong direction, go down with the wrong current. He keeps trying to throw out the lifeline to you. Just try this analogy this morning. Here's the kid going down the river and the boat is out of control and the little boy can't swim or couldn't save himself if he could. And here's the father 
along the side of the river trying to rescue his kid, not knowing how to do it. And somehow he has a, he has a lifeline and he keeps throwing it out there and saying to the son, grab the line, grab the line. And the kid is hanging on for dear life, scared to death. Sometimes we get in that position as believers. You know, we're going down the wrong road as fast as we can go, and you can be sure that God is running along right down beside you, keeping his eye on his kid, throwing lifeline after lifeline out for that boy because he loves us. We're his family. Isn't that a wonderful thought? But, you know, we're paying the price. We may have done something wrong uh, to get ourselves in that position. But God, uh, God comes to our rescue even when he disciplines us. He wants to teach us. And so my word to you this morning is this. Stay anchored. Don't drift away. Check your anchor. What is your life anchored in? Is it the Lord or is it other things? Other things won't hold your ship secure. You'll drift away. Check your anchor. Christ is our anchor, the Bible says. Hebrews 6.19, This confidence is like a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Stay in close connection with God this summer. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning... I just ask you this question. Have you drifted away? Or are you drifting away? Well, check your anchor. Throw out the anchor. And the anchor has to be the Lord in your life because he's the only person in your life that can stop you from wrecking your life. If you are left to your own devices... Shipwreck can be yours. And so as we have this moment of silence together in the church, I, I want to ask you to pray in your heart to the Lord this morning, Lord, forgive me for neglect, neglecting my faith. Help me now, Lord, to anchor my soul in you and to appreciate the tremendous salvation which you gave to me one day when I came to you in faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing to the Lord.